God is good. All the time. Schedule's been switched up on you a bit, and um, so it's it's my turn to uh, give you a little bit of information. Uh, we're going to dive into some scriptures today. We're going to look at some positive things about who Jesus was, and uh, we're in the middle of a series entitled "Jesus the Radical." And uh, Jesus was a little bit of a strange character, and he uh, changed the uh, a lot of the cultural ideas of who he was. And even in in today's day and age, uh, we find that. Jesus of the Bible is a little bit different than the Jesus that we often um, think of. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen bracelets that uh, have the, the phrase WWJD on it. It was uh, real popular a while back. I found a tongue depressor with it on it. WWJD. What would Jesus do? I guess he would check your tonsils. but I don't know. The question WWJD is a, is a good question, but it's really not a good question unless you knew what Jesus did, right? In the book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You ask yourself the question, well, what would Jesus do? Oftentimes you'll come back with however you've been informed about what Jesus did. Or, or your impression of who he is and who he was. Oftentimes it's not reality. It's not exactly who Jesus actually was. The Jesus of Scripture constantly doing things that most people wouldn't even think of. He was a little different than what most expect. Today we're going to look at four faces of Jesus. The image that we often get and then the reality. In our discussion groups during our uh, adult discussion time while the kids were in class this morning, we looked at those four faces. We looked at the difference between the cultural view and reality. And obviously, uh, as, as culture, we, we many times will go to Scripture to find out what Jesus was, but we don't look at all of Scripture to really dive in to who he was. Let's compare the instant image that we often get with the reality of scripture. So Jesus in a manger. What's the cultural norm? In our discussion groups, what did you find as the cultural norm, as the cultural uh, view of who Jesus was? Any words pop out? What did you write on your sheet? Did you keep your sheet? Any of you? Did you already fall asleep on me? What? A baby, okay, so the baby in the manger, yeah, he's a baby. He's sweet. What's that? Okay, there was a feeding trough there. What, what's the image of Jesus in the manger? Innocence. Okay. I use the word cute. Jesus was cute in the manger, right? He was cute in the manger. Oh, look, it's a baby. He was cute in the manger. Visually, in our head, what comes to mind? Last week, Adam put a a picture of the nativity up on the screen and he explained some things about about Jesus and about the nativity and you couldn't really see the face of Jesus but he was cute wasn't he and that's that's and not not necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's the norm it's it's what we typically see the image of Jesus illuminated or glowing 
or maybe it's Mary that's glowing, right? We see, we see both of those. In this image, Jesus is cute. He's, he's weak. He's dependent. He's no threat to my self-centered living or to my comfort zone. You're going to find that the cultural image of Jesus is no threat to our self-centered living. He's no threat to our comfort zone. This little baby Jesus is no threat to the way I live. I think this is, the why, is why a lot of people like Christmas more than they like Easter. Because Jesus is cute when he was a baby. No, he's so cute. But the wise men got it, didn't they? They knew that this baby that came into the earth, or onto the earth, into the scene, was more than just a baby. The wise men traveled from the east, and what did they bring? They brought gifts for what? A baby? No. They brought gifts for a king. They knew that this was the king of kings. The, the king that they had all been anticipating. This was not just a cute, weak, dependent baby. These guys weren't messing around with a cute baby in a manger. They knew this baby was a king. And these wise men, these, these we three kings of Orient are, they got it. They understood it. Herod got it as well, didn't he? That passage in Matthew, if you read it, that passage in Matthew said that Herod, what did he do when he found out that the kings were there to visit baby Jesus, who was supposed to be a king? What did he do? We, we don't often see this part of the story where Jesus... And Joseph and, and Mary had to flee Bethlehem and run to Egypt. Why did they have to do that? Because Herod knew that this king was more than just a cute baby. He knew that this king was going to do something for the, and, and possibly threaten his own throne. Herod had soldiers go into Bethlehem and kill the baby boys two years and, and younger. Brad mentioned this morning uh, in our discussion group that, that Herod actually killed his own kids to prevent them from taking his throne. Crazy guy. But anyway, they knew that this baby in Bethlehem was more than just a cute baby. Jesus, the cute little baby, or Jesus, the frightening king? The faces of Jesus' image versus reality. Number two, Jesus doing miracles and telling everyone to play nice. We find that in ministry, Jesus was, was constantly doing miracles. And, and we looked at one last week where he, he brought, you know, a major blessing to a young couple. He was nice. He was kind. 30 years after this cute baby, we see him starting his ministry. In the pictures, he's the long-haired hippie guy in a worn-out bathrobe with, who just kind of wanders around and fixes things and tells everyone to play nice in the sandbox. He's got some superpowers, but if you're, you know, if you're out of wine or if you can't see or if you can't walk, Jesus can fix you right up. Not only is he cute, but he's also nice. How about this image? Does this image pose any threat to your selfish way of life? Does it pose any threat to, to your comfort zone? Not really. John chapter 5 and verse 13. You, you, we find a story there where Jesus heals this man. 
And the man didn't know, for, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. He didn't, the, the Pharisees had come up to him and said, well, what's going on? And how come, how come you're, uh, you know, what happened to you? And the man didn't know where Jesus went because he had disappeared into the crowd. Verse 14, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Look what Jesus told him. This nice guy that just healed this man, what did Jesus tell him when he found him in the temple? Now you are well, so stop sinning or something else worse may happen to you. Hmm. Sounds like a nice little story when it's Jesus talking. But imagine what would happen if dad came to visit one of your relatives in the hospital. I'm not, I'm not to that pastoral state of mind and that elderly state of mind where I go and visit lots of people in the hospital. I did go see him. He's been around the other day in the hospital. But what if he went and visited one of your relatives in the hospital? Or maybe they were in a car accident or maybe they had a, a, a life-altering surgery and they, they were going to die and then they were miraculously healed and they were, they were coming back and the doctors were able to bring them back. And, and he goes in there and he makes this statement. Now you are well, so stop sinning or something else might happen to you. What would, how would that go over? Would that work? I think we'd be getting some hate mail at that point. Jesus wasn't always Mr. Nice Guy. He wasn't always this kind-hearted, gentle person who fixed things and who was, who was always trying to help people play nice in the sandbox. I don't know about you, but if, if I'm honest with myself, my prayers oftentimes depict Jesus as a nice guy who likes to fix my problems. Is that the way you pray sometimes too? We think he's this nice guy who wants to fix our problems, and he does. He, he does. He likes to fix things. He likes to make life nice, but we need to understand he does this from kingship, not because he's just cute and nice. Let me give you an example, another example. Jesus tells us to, to turn the other cheek. You know, if somebody comes up and hits you, what's, what are you supposed to do? Well, I tell my girls to hit them back. It's a boy. But that's not really what, what Jesus is saying here. If someone comes up and slaps you in the face, what are you supposed to do? You turn the other cheek, right? Is this because Jesus just wants us to, to lay down on the floor and be everybody's doormat? Does he want us to just, just fall down to anyone and just serve, uh, serve the greater need of everybody that's around us? No. It's because it takes great strength to turn the other cheek. It takes great inner strength and, and God-given strength to turn the other cheek and to forgive someone. What if a little kid at the park walks up to a guy and kicks him in the shin? Is the guy standing there when the little kid comes up and kicks him in the shin, is the guy going to just turn around and just kick him right in the chest and just knock him down? Is that what's going to happen? No. Let's make it a little more real. If, if Aiden gets up out of his chair right now and walks across the aisle and kicks his Uncle Justin in the shin, Justin. Wham, just kicks him as hard as he can for no reason. Well, Justin's probably going to take him out back later. But right in the public, what do you think Justin's going to do? <laughs> 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 
probably not going to respond in the way that some other little kid would respond, right? Why? Because there's a bit of maturity there, right? There's a maturity level that's there that it's not going to, we're not going to, it takes a bigger person to turn the other cheek. Dad used to always tell me, be the bigger person. I used to hate it when he said that. Why? Because we have a tendency, it's so much easier to just respond the way we want to respond. Rather than turning the other cheek and being the bigger person. We have cute Jesus in the major. We have nice Jesus in, during his ministry. Let's fast forward a few years to the cross. Faces of Jesus, Jesus. Image versus reality. We have Jesus on the cross. What did you come up with as the cultural image? What did you find as the cultural image for Jesus on the cross? Those of you who did the discussion group this morning. What did you find Jesus on the cross? What's that cultural norm that we often see Jesus on the cross as? Forgiving, okay? Jesus is forgiving, right? That's one of them. I often think of that even going a little further, uh, the cultural norm, almost as Jesus being gullible. Because I think the cultural norm, I think we, we think of Jesus as, well, he's, he's there on the cross, and what he did there on the cross is, is for all of us, and if, if we sin, we can just go to him and ask forgiveness, and he's, he's there on the cross for us. He seems to be a little gullible. We get this idea that one person, a person can, can live like the devil because there's a cross to run back to. And there's even a cross hanging around our necks at some points. And, and we, we carry them around with us. And we think that just because we know Jesus on the cross that our sins will be forgiven. And, and they are. But we can't just live like the devil and then run to the cross. And live like the devil and run to the cross. And just repeat this over and over and over again. Jesus on the cross did not diminish sin. In fact, it was the other way around. Jesus on the cross magnified the fact that sin was an awful thing. We can't live like we want, then run to the cross. This image of a gullible Jesus is no threat to our self-centeredness. It's no threat to our comfort zone. The reality of Jesus in the Bible is much different than the gullible image that we often see him as at the cross. The cross doesn't teach us that sin is no big deal. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus on the cross teaches us sin is a huge deal. And sin is a separator. It's a capital offense. Think about the way Jesus prayed in the garden. If you think that the cross was no big deal. Three times he begged. God, take this from me. I don't want to see this end. Jesus knew what was coming. He really didn't want to participate. Humanly speaking, he didn't want to participate in this end. Let this cup pass from me. God's answer was simple. There's no way around it. The point of the cross is sin is a big deal. That's reality. We all deserve capital punishment. We're all headed for it. But Jesus came along and took that punishment for us. In return, he says, follow me. Not live like you want, then run to the cross over and over and over again. It's take up your cross daily 
and follow me. He wasn't a gullible Jesus. He was redemption for us. Nice, cute, gullible. Now we have him at the tomb. What did you find? What did you find? The cultural image. What cultural images did you come up with when Jesus was at the tomb? Cultural, cultural images. What did you, you see? What did you write down? You all sat there. I saw four tables of people sitting there going through these verses. What did you find as the cultural norm for Jesus next to the tomb? Jackie, what did you find? Okay, almost very Jewish. Okay, almost nonsense. Yeah, okay, absolutely. What else? Any other, any other thoughts? Anybody come up with any others? To see is believe. Okay, to see is believe, which is yeah. it's a lot of doubt there, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of doubt. Jesus at the at the tomb, oftentimes we see Jesus at the tomb. He's he's got this image, uh, he's he's got a uh, a glow around him. He's he's happy, he's there, he's he's loving, he's kind, he's he's continues this soft image of him, right? Yeah, there's, there's some doubt involved. There's all of those answers are definitely, definitely what we see. The, the word I chose here is tame. He's just taken the sting of death away, and it's such a nice and tame thing that he has done for us. He's kind of like a tame guard dog who has just made safe passage from this life into death, Right? The sting of death has been removed. Several places here in town, lots in the state, country, thousands around the world, funerals will take place this week. If we could be a fly on the wall and listen in, what would we hear? Some of these funerals, and every funeral is different, but some would be for good people. Some would be for not so good people. Some of these funerals would be for people that were probably outright horrible people. But in almost every case, in one language or another around the world, someone is bound to say something like, well, the good news is, is uh, you know, Uncle Joe and Aunt Martha, is, uh, they're in a what? Better place. Because Jesus has taken the sting of death, Right? He's this tame Christ who, who, because he went before us and conquered death, and now he's up in heaven building us a, a nice house, we can all move on to that better place. Once again, the image of a tame Jesus at, at the side of the tomb doesn't affect my self-centered lifestyle. This image doesn't really push me out of my comfort zone. He's going to be there when I die, and, and everyone is going to, going, going, who, everyone who, who believes that, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead is, is going to join him in that place. Isn't that the happy image that we see and the happy image that we get? But what's the reality? The reality is Christ is a reigning king. He has been taken from here and he's been put on high as one who is a ruler and a judge. He's a reigning king. He's not this cute, nice, gullible, or tame individual. Jesus of the Bible, he's, he's a reigning king with an assignment for each and every one of us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and he told the disciples, I have been given 
all authority in heaven and on earth, not a tame Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In obedience, we need to live our lives in such a way that it attracts others to him. Not, not so that they can make a, a nod to God. <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? But a real life-changing transformation needs to take place. That's what we're after. That's what we're here to do. We're here to change ourselves, and we're here to help anyone else around us make that same change. The Jesus of the Bible, he'll, he'll judge, and he's going to reward us based on how well we do with this assignment. The real Jesus is not quite as tame as the cultural image. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, So we make it our goal to please him. Yeah. Whether we are at home or in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the what? Judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Not as nice as the guy that showed up at the party and, and brought 150 gallons of wine, right? This real Jesus is a little more radical than that. He's coming back, and it, it probably won't be pretty. Revelation chapter 19, and I want you to see this one in your own Bible. If you've got a Bible, turn with me there. Revelation chapter 19. Some of you may have read this in, our, in your discussion groups. It was kind of uh, one of the later verses, so you may not have made it to it. I want you to follow me. Uh, to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Where's Revelation? It's the opposite end of the book from Genesis, right? It's clear at the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 19. I like, like third or fourth ver- um, chapter from the very back of the Bible. Revelation 19. Let's start reading in verse 11. This is the biblical image of Jesus. It says, Then I saw heaven opened up. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. And he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except for himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations he will rule them with an iron rod he will release the fierce wrath of God the almighty like juice flowing from a wine press on his robe at the thigh was written this title king of all kings and lord of all lords this is not the Jesus of our cultural understanding the flannel graph in a bathrobe, the glow around him, not the long-haired hippie showing up to the party and telling everyone to play nice in the sandbox. He's not tame. He's powerful, and he's a king, and you don't want to mess with him. Remember the verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Some people have tried to explain this verse, that this word fear here is more accurately translated like awe or respect. We really shouldn't fear God. I have my doubts about this way of thinking. 
Maybe example, electricity, for example. It's powerful and dangerous, but you just don't want... You, how, how many of you lay in bed, besides BJ, how many of you lay in bed every night and think, man, I am, I am not able to sleep tonight because I am scared that I'm going to get electrocuted? Anybody? Has anybody... I mean, even, BJ, have you ever thought about... Yeah, because he works with it all day long. He plays with it all day long. But it's not something that you just lay in bed at night and think about. Well, that's, uh, that's you know, it could kill you. But it's also something you probably don't want to mess with. If you take this outlet apart and you begin to pull the pretty wires out of that outlet. And you say something like, well, I wonder what would happen if I lick my fingers and I touch the red one and the black one or the white one and the red one. I wonder what would happen. How do you think that would end? We'd probably be all leaning over you saying, well, at least he's in a better place now. (laughs) Right? But it's not something we mess with. It's just not something that we mess with. It's powerful and it's good, but it's not something we mess with. It's not something we play with. Anytime I work with electricity, I'm a little extra careful. It's not like electricity is just bad and it's like looking looking for a way to kill me. Once again, it's powerful, but only a fool doesn't fear it. Just like our king, Jesus Christ. He's good and he's powerful, but only the foolish think he's cute, nice, gullible, and tame. So let's get real. How does this all apply? What's the point? Who who Jesus' reality should make a difference in how I live each and every day. It should affect how we spend our time, how we interact with others, what we do, what we say, what we don't do, what we don't say. So here it is. Here's your assignment. The king is on the loose. He's on the prowl. He's coming back. And so we need to be aware. There's a whole book full of instructions, right? You've seen it. It's called the Bible. There's a whole book full of instructions, but I've got four that I'm going to pull out and give you today. I only want you to pick two out of the four. It's pretty simple, right? 50%. Not bad. Two out of the four. I want you to pick two out of the four and see if you can get these accomplished this week. Number one, find someone to forgive. Out of the strength that he has given you, being the bigger person, find someone to forgive. Someone that has either done you wrong or is is going to do you wrong. Find someone to forgive. Not the person that accidentally cuts you off in traffic and waves all nice and... Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, I forgive you. No, I'm not talking about that kind of forgiveness. I'm talking about the person who deliberately and on purpose does everything in their power to offend you. That's the person we need to forgive. Those are a little more difficult. Find someone to forgive. Matthew 6, verse 14 says, If you forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Assignment number one, forgive someone. Number two, find someone to help. I'm not talking about a family member. I'm not talking about a neighbor who who comes over and says, can I borrow your jumper cables? That doesn't count. I'm talking about someone that you need to dig down and and help. Someone that you would not normally help. Find someone to help. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? This guy traveled along the road. He didn't have time to stop and help this guy, but what did he do? He stopped and helped him. Go out of your way to help somebody this week. Number three, Serve someone who is supposed to serve you. 
Matthew 20, 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. God in the flesh. Do you think he had some, some, uh, some authority? Do you think he had some... Uh, what, would, it be, would it be completely absurd of him to expect others to serve him? After all, he is God. What did he do? He served others. Find someone to serve that is supposed to serve you. Jesus becomes real when we serve those who should serve us. Serve somebody who's supposed to serve you. That's your assignment. Number four, you can pick this one as well. Reach out to someone who most religious people would write off. Remember a couple weeks ago we read the story about when Jesus went and uh, ate, some, ate some dinner with some Pharisees and some tax collectors? And the Pharisees were like, why does, why does Jesus hang out with such scum? That's what I'm talking about. We need to reach out to someone that most religious people would write off. Your assignment is to pick one or two. No, I said two. Pick two of these four. That's your assignment this week. Here's the focus. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. We read it at the beginning of the service. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Not what would Jesus do. Or maybe it is what Jesus did would do, but only because we're informed about what he did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity today to be together, to be allowed to experience your word together. Thank you for the study time, the the digging in time that we had earlier, and God, thank you for the words that have been presented. God, help us to not take our the, the, the cultural norm and not take our, the easy approach to who you were. But God, help us to realize that you are a reigning king and that there is an assignment that we must get accomplished. God, help us to take on the challenge today of, of these four assignments. God, help us to find someone to forgive. Help us to help somebody. Help us to serve someone who, who doesn't deserve to be served. But God, we should. God, help us to, to also... Be that person that reaches out to maybe someone who most people would just write off. God, help us to do that this week. Thank you again for this time and this allowing us to be together today. I pray that these words will bless each and, each and every person that's here. Help us to be more like you because of it. The radical Jesus that you were. Help us to be those radical followers. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.